For the second year in a row, after late season losses to Pittsburgh and Duke, North Carolina's backs are firmly up against the wall. How do they respond? We're about to find out. You are Locked On Tar Heels, your daily podcast on the UNC Tar Heels, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, it's Tuesday, February 7th, 2023. Welcome in to the Locked on Tar Heels podcast, the only daily North Carolina show out there. I'm your host, Isaac Shade, and I want to thank you for joining us. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. Coming up on the show, we've got some leftovers from the Duke game. We're going to warm them up in the microwave and eat on those. And then we got our what to watch for for Wake Forest tonight. Carolina has to get moving. Speaking of which, that's where we start today. A week ago, I said on this show, man, if Carolina's going to get moving, if Carolina's going to do something, now's the time. There were exactly 10 games left, exactly halfway through the ACC schedule. And then they proceeded, as we all now know, to go 0-2 last week at home against Pitt on Wednesday and then at Duke on Saturday. So now, no longer is it, now's the time if you want to get moving. Now, we're at the point where we got to say, listen, time's running out. If you want to get this thing right, if you want to get this thing turned around, we are now firmly at the point of no return. When I think about this, I always think of Back to the Future 3. Any Back to the Future fans out there? Boy, howdy, it's one of my favorite trilogies of all time. Back to the Future 3, they're in the Wild West. They got to figure out how to get this train to go up to the Back to the Future speed of 88 or whatever it is so they can get back to 1985 or wherever Marty McFly lives. Well, in order to get the train going fast enough by a certain point, there's this spot in the tracks where Doc Brown has posted this thing that says point of no return. And once they get past there, there's no turning back. And that's where Carolina is. If they have any shot, any shot of, of getting to the things that they did last year, there, there's no time to waste. There is an, a new urgency that there was not before. Because <sighs> we're getting into that territory now where we're starting to have the question again like last year of, North Carolina is safely in the NCAA tournament, right? You know, like we're getting to that point. And so now, no longer now's the time. Now it's, fellas, you got eight games left in the regular season. That's all you got to work with. So the interesting thing about that is when you compare it to last season, um, after um, once Carolina got to the same point in terms of the loss column, Remember, they finished the regular season last year with eight losses and five ACC losses. Well, this year, they're at that point right now. Eight total losses, five ACC losses, and they've still got eight games yet to play. When they got to that same point last year, um, after the home loss to Duke, remember they had just suffered that, uh, sorry, the home loss to Duke, then they got two wins, and then that embarrassing loss versus Pitt. It's funny because it's the same two teams that they lost to, just in a different order and not back-to-back. It was the same number of losses at that point last year after the Pitt loss, but there were only five games left. This year, there's still eight 
games left that Carolina has to do stuff. And and hear me say this. This eight-game closing stretch, you look at it and and you think, I mean, there's winnable games, certainly. But Carolina is going to have to bring it. They're going to have to find a gear that they did not have Saturday at Durham. They're going to have to find a gear that they did not have in the Smith Center last Wednesday night against Pitt because you got this game at Wake tonight. We're going to discuss that in more detail in a little bit. And then Saturday, you host Clemson, who's right there at the top of the conference. Um, they're they're decently legit, folks. Don't think this is Clemson, Clemson. Um but you gotta you gotta build back up that home streak against Clemson after losing a couple years ago. And then Monday turn right around and host Miami, who Miami, man, those guards always, always are really good. Carolina's gonna have to contend with that. That's a tough turnaround, Clemson, Miami, Saturday to Monday. And then the next Sunday, you go to NC State. And folks, you saw NC State, you know that's gonna be a tough game. Then you go at Notre Dame, which projects to be a bit of an easier opponent. But Carolina sometimes struggles up in South Bend. Then you come home and you host Virginia. That's a very tough game. They're right at the top of the conference. Then you go to Florida State, who, again, Florida State's not playing all that well this year. But Carolina at Florida State in Tallahassee, always a bit of a struggle. And then Duke. You host Duke to end the season, the regular season. Y'all, this stretch, this eight-game stretch, very, very difficult. I mean, you look at it and your biggest breathers are at Notre Dame and at Florida State. So two two road games in places where you typically have some struggles are your two easiest games that you're looking at. And so you got a lot to do. And it starts with Wake tonight. You You just have to go out and do it tonight at Wake. Now, the other thing, interestingly, despite how tough this all seems, when you look at Ken Palm, they project UNC to win seven of these final eight games, going 7-1 down the stretch. The only game they project North Carolina to win, it's not hosting Virginia, it's not hosting Duke, any of these others. It's the game at NC State is the one Ken Palm projects the Tar Heels to lose. So if I look at this and you tell me that Carolina goes 7-1 and one down this stretch, I would be elated with that record. I don't, I don't care who that loss is against. You'd rather it not be Duke. You'd rather it not be State. But if you could get out of these final games seven and one, wonderful. But interestingly enough, that puts you one game behind where you were last year when, you know, in the seed, you're in that eight in the, in the NCAA tournament, you're in that eight, nine game. And so you don't love that. Um, and so in, in order for Carolina to kind of move out of that territory, they almost have to go eight and oh down the stretch here. And I, at this point, Frankly, I don't see it. And after all of this and, and all the everything from last week, another part of this backs up against the wall thing, point of no return thing, is now there's all these questions resurfacing about personnel issues uh, because of how Carolina performed last week. In particular, it's Pete Nance. That's, that's what I've seen over and over and over again. People, you know, things they've said to me on Twitter, things I've just seen from people on Twitter and other places. It's, it's all about Pete Nance and, and in particular his foibles against Duke. And there were some, you know, he, he let that offensive rebound drop and, and didn't pick it up. There were, there were some other things, but I, I know, I know that's tough. I know it's difficult, but, but it's part of the thing. Another part of these personnel conversations 
is more bench stuff, right? Associated with, we, we talked yesterday in length on the show about Carolina's inability to close, how they shouldn't have to worry about that as much because they should be taking care of things earlier in the game. But again, with personnel and the bench, perhaps the, the starters would be fresher if there were more bench minutes to go around. Um, if, if there was more of that, and again, though, that too is a conversation we've had over and over and over this season is that Part of the reason Carolina struggles down the stretch or part of the reason Carolina allows these runs to their opponents is because the guys are playing so many minutes. Um, and I, I, anytime I say this, I get the response from people and I hear this, Hey, they're young. They should be fine. They should sure. Absolutely. But if you're telling me uh, a guy is going to be fresher playing 38 minutes versus 32 minutes. No, that's just not accurate. And so if you could, steal four or five minutes with Seth Trimble. If you could get the same with DeMarco Dunn, any of that, just to spell RJ and Caleb longer. If you could do the same for Mondo with five to 10 minutes from Jalen Washington, if you could use some of that for Pete as well, that's got to be a better way forward. And so uh, we'll keep watching the personnel. I don't expect anything different against Wake Forest tonight than what we've seen, but it will be something to keep an eye on. So now's the time to do it. Point of no return. Carolina starts right now tonight against Wake Forest. Before, though, we preview the Wake Forest game, we do have some leftovers from the Duke game, some just hanging on things that I want to unpack a little more. And we'll actually even have a little bit more on Friday when we get to our negative heel of the week. So stay tuned for that. But these leftovers, we need to get them out of the microwave reheat them and talk about them. We'll do that in just a second. But first, this episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Are you looking for a delicious treat, but you don't want all the fat and calories? Then you got to try Built Bar. We just recently got through the holiday season and I don't know about you, but I'm looking to lose a couple pounds and they're to do that, eat healthier this year. And if you want to do that without compromising taste, just like me, you got to try Built Bar. What makes it so good? Well, for starters, it's covered in 100% real chocolate, not to mention comes in unbelievable flavors like peanut butter brownie and, of course, that one I really want to try, churro. Not sure how Built does it, but these taste like a candy bar while maintaining awesome macros. Just 130 calories, only 4 grams of sugar, but yet 17 grams of protein. And now, you don't have to wait around all day to get your box from Built.com. Why not? Because... Now, Sam's Club and Walmart are carrying Built Bars in store. So head on down to your nearest Walmart, get you a four-count box of cookies and cream Built Bars. Go, go down to Sam's Club, get you that bulk box if you got 20 kids in your household, and then you'll be rearing to go. And I promise you, you will not be disappointed by Built Bar, a proud sponsor of the Locked On Network. Hey, also, thanks again for making Locked on Tar Heels your first listen. Now make sure you check out our brand new podcast, Locked on College Basketball. Everything you need to know about college basketball in one place, plus hear from big name experts, insiders, coaches, and players. Locked on College Basketball, available on YouTube and anywhere else you get podcasts. <laughs> Duke leftovers, here we go. A couple things to keep taking away from this game things that might be instructive going forward or just other things that we didn't get to unpack as much as we wanted to on Monday's show. First thing out of the gate, though, 
We have to congratulate the Miami Hurricanes for doing the Lord's work. They absolutely dog walked Duke on Monday night on Big Monday on ESPN, 81 to 59. And it's this weird thing when Duke loses, where I know as Carolina people, we are elated, we're excited, we're thrilled because Duke lost. But there's also this kind of frustration of like, yeah, but that was supposed to be what Carolina did to them on Saturday night, and they didn't, and now Miami's doing it. And it's like, is that what Miami's going to do to us when we play them next Monday? That's in the Smith Center, thankfully, not down in Coral Gables, which helps, but, or Miami, no, Miami Gardens is football, Coral Gables basketball. Um, but at like, you, you hear that, that balance that, man, I love that Duke loses. But A, why couldn't Carolina do that to them? That's embarrassing. And two, yikes, we, we got to play Miami soon. I just choose to think that Carolina really drained Duke uh, on Saturday and they were just dog, dead dog tired. And that's why they got beaten as badly as they did. Not just not because Miami is all that much better than North Carolina. Yeah, right. That's how that's how that story goes. <laughs> anyway, let's get legitimately into these Duke leftovers. The first thing we got to talk about is the foul numbers. There's been much made about the the foul situation on Saturday night, and and you've heard me talk about, and I still feel this way that there were a lot of fouls that went uncalled. Frankly, both ways, but I saw you know just because it's what I'm watching more more on the North Carolina side, like. Pete Nance so clearly was fouled by Kyle Filipowski on a little baseline jumper just before halftime. I thought there were multiple instances of Derek Lively fouling people on those blocks. Um, uh, Some of them were very legit clean blocks. I mean, that dude is a menace on defense, but there were plenty of, uh, I say plenty, there were two, three, four others that I thought easily could have been called as fouls and, um, to, to figure that out even more, I went to the numbers because that's what I do. I'm a stats guy and I wanted to know what the numbers said. And so I went back through Carolina's games this season and looked back at some season long foul numbers to try to compare and contrast with what had happened season long and what happened in this Duke game. And I know there's always one game is small sample size. And so sometimes you throw out, you know, like the low and the high and I get that, but just because it's fun to look at the numbers. Here we go. This is what it turns out. North Carolina is averaging 16.6 fouls per game this season. That includes the numbers from the Duke game, meaning Carolina commits an average of 16.6 fouls per game. As for their opponents, their Carolina's opponents average committing 19.7 fouls per game. So an average of three fouls more than Carolina combined in all all of North Carolina's games this season, there were a combined average of 36.3 fouls called total in every game this season. So Carolina committing 16.6, opponents committing 19.7, and total 36.3. And then you look, look at the numbers specifically from the Duke matchup. Carolina committed 14 fouls, which was which was its fifth lowest this season, tied with a, a couple other games um, that that had fewer. Um, and then Duke had 11 fouls they committed in this game. Remember, Carolina's team uh, opponents are committing 19.7 fouls. Duke was almost half, like just 50 percent of that number, 11 fouls. 
And that means when you add that up, 14-11, there were 25 total fouls called in this game, whereas Carolina's average this season, games they play in, average 36.3 fouls per game. And this one, 25, 11 lower than Carolina's season average. Now, hear me not saying, again, I'm not saying this was inequitable in Carolina's favor. I'm saying there were fouls missed on both sides. But in a season, in a year where North Carolina is has be, has oriented their offense around being heavily reliant on free throws being a good percentage of where their points come from, I think it's North Carolina that is hurt by these lower number of fouls called than was Duke. Does that make sense? Even if the numbers had been equal and, and called more, Carolina would have ultimately benefited more from that because of the percentage of free throws they hit and the percentage of free throws they ultimately take. Because remember, not every foul called is is shots, right? North Carolina, a lot of a higher percentage of their free throws, or excuse me, of their fouls that they draw are fouls where they will get shots out of it. And so all of this to say this hurts North Carolina in a big way. And I thought played a factor in this game. I'm not complaining. I'm not whining and moaning. I'm just presenting the statistical data. You decide for yourself. Okay. Now a couple other statistical things to take away that I thought in some way were some helpful things. Obviously a lot of what we look at from the Duke game was like, Hey, not so great, but there were some good positive things as well. For example, there are some encouraging trends. One of which is turnovers. Turnovers continue to take a downward turn. The Tar Heels have committed single digit turnovers now in three of their last four, including tying the season low versus Duke seven, which Carolina just set four games ago versus NC state. So two of the last four games have been the two lowest turnover totals of the season. And in fact, in that four game stretch, Carolina has averaged just eight and a quarter turnovers a game. That's great. And Carolina needs to keep doing that. And, and again, that all starts tonight at Wake Forest. And when you extrapolate out looking at the season long view or not extrapolate out, zoom out to look at the season long view, the Tar Heels have only committed 15 or more turnovers once all season. And that was 18 in the four overtime game against Alabama. That's really encouraging to see. Um, and, and the Tar Heels need to keep that up, but they need to be more efficient. Like it's great to keep the ball, but it's another thing to actually be more efficient with it. The, the offensive efficiency is sliding as we'll talk about in a minute. Uh, another encouraging trend is that the assist percentage was back up in the due game exactly 50 percent 12 assists on 24 made field goals and that comes on the heels of two of the previous three games the Tar Heels had been under 30 percent in assist percentage but with a season high 76.9 percent against Syracuse wedged in the middle now obviously Carolina when they play well against Syracuse is going to have a higher assist percentage but still all of that's confounding for reference, Carolina was at a 40% assist rate last time they played Wake Forest. We will look for that to be up over 50% in this game. 
speaking of which, as just a reminder, with the assists in the Duke game, RJ, five assists, zero turnovers. Caleb, four assists, two turnovers. You love those numbers. You want to see that again against Wake Forest tonight. Uh, two more quick things. Carolina won the offensive rebounding battle against Duke. Why do I bring that up as such a big deal? Carolina is always a great offensive rebounding team, right? No, they have not put as much of an emphasis on that under Hubert Davis. That's now borne out over all of last season and you know the three quarters that they've played of this season so far. Duke, meanwhile, is the second-ranked offensive rebounding team in the country in terms of offensive rebounding percentage. And Carolina beat them by one, 14-13 in offensive rebounds, although Duke did out-rebound Carolina in total, 46-40. to The problem came because of the timing of a lot of those rebounds, such as the one that I talked about earlier where Pete Nance wasn't able to corral that uh, the Kyle Filipowski mix miss and it wound up with Derek Lively put back slam a shot later. And so uh, the the timing of some of those offensive rebounds really hurt the Tar Heels down the stretch. One more encouraging trend is that you'd heard me talk about, I'd like to see the defense moving in the right direction. And it continues to do that. The, the defensive efficiency per Ken Palm is now in the top 50 in the country at 45. I love to see this. I'd love to see it continue to climb. It had been into the 60s and 70s at times this year. However, the problem is that the at the same time as the defense is coming up, the offense is going down. This offense was top 10 in efficiency earlier this season, and now, as of the time of this recording, anyway, is at 34th. And you just you cannot have that. And so the defense going in the right direction, but the, the offense has to start trending back in the right direction. I've got some ideas about how Carolina might be able to do that. And we'll talk about it as we get for what is now a massive matchup at Wake Forest here on Tuesday night. But before we talk about it, let me tell you about FanDuel. This year, the only app you need at your Super Bowl party is FanDuel. We're really excited about our new sports betting partner here at Locked On FanDuel. Why? Because they are the number one sports book in all of America. And if you're new to FanDuel, even better. They've got so many great features that make betting on sports both fun and easy. So download FanDuel right now so that you can bet Super Bowl 57 with a no sweat first bet. You'll get up to $3,000 back in bonus bets if your bet doesn't win. FanDuel lets you bet on everything from the money line, point spreads, to who will score a touchdown. Plus, the app is safe, it's secure, and super easy to use. And best of all, you can get paid your winnings instantly. I have experienced this myself because I use FanDuel for all my daily fantasy action, typically fantasy football. And so I would encourage you to get on board with this and join FanDuel today at FanDuel.com slash locked on to claim that no sweat first bet on Super Bowl 57. Again, that's FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Okay, coming up tonight, North Carolina at Wake Forest inside Lawrence Joel Coliseum. The Demon Deacons are 15 and 9, 7 and 6 in the ACC. This game will take place at 7 Eastern on ESPN. FanDuel has Wake Forest by half a point. Ken Palm favors the Tar Heels by one. Either way you look at that, what does that tell you? Tight game expected in this one. Carolina 
again, we've been talking about closing out these close games. The Tar Heels have to go and do it. Now, let me remind you, these two teams are very similar in terms of offensive efficiency, right in Wake Forest's like low 20s, Carolina right now, uh, or excuse me, high 20s for Wake Forest, Carolina in the low 30s. The difference is the defensive efficiency. North Carolina, as we've said now, is inside the top 50, 45 right now. Wakes is outside the top 100. I think it's like 130 something right now. And so Carolina has to, as they did last time, take advantage of that and get that offense up and humming. As a reminder, that last game, Carolina won at home 81-64 back on January 4th. That game featured 20 lead changes. That's a season high for a Carolina game and eight ties, which uh, suggests what we just talked about, that this will be a tight game despite the fact that the outcome of the previous matchup was not as close. That's not the right score. It was 88-79. I don't know why I had 81-64. As I read it, I was like, that ain't it. 88-79 was the score of the previous meeting. RJ led the Tar Heels in that game with 27 points. Remember, Pete Nance, that was the game where his back stiffened up and he only played a minute 56. And so uh, Carolina obviously hopes to have a full Nance available for this one, unlike what they did last time, which was at home in the Smith Center. Keep in mind, Carolina only has two road wins this entire season. One of them was at Louisville. So honestly, does that even really count? No, I don't think it does. The other at Syracuse, this will be win number three on the road if the Tar Heels can do it. And that brings us to my favorite part of every preview episode, the W2W4, my what to watch for in this game, four things to watch for. Number one, I'm going to keep banging this drum. Feed Armando Baycott. I want to see in this game 15 or more field goal attempts. I want Armando to lead the team in field goal attempts, not be third on the team as he was at Duke on Saturday. In fact, I want Armando to lead the team in every game. He is the best offensive possibility for this Carolina team. Like, get back to that dynamic pick and roll action that happened with Carolina with RJ and Armando last year. The problem is nobody respects Pete Nance as much as they did Brady Manick, so they can sag off him. They're already sagging off a leaky that clogs the lane, and then the pick and roll doesn't work as well. But uh, would love to see that get going. The other thing with feeding Mondo, do not go away from it. Do not give up on it if and when it gets tough. Remember, uh, Wake Forest has a couple bigs that are really tough that Armando's going to have to contest with. But now he's got Pete Nance to help out on that as well. So if Pete can drag his guy out to the perimeter, give our, our Armando some more room to work, that's great. Additionally, it's not just about field goal attempts for Mondo. I don't want you to think that. To me, it's also about just touches, letting the offense flow through him more than it typically has been. Allow him to make some wise decisions, when to shoot, when to kick, when to, you know, whatever it may be. Just get Armando Baycott touches, and I want 15 or more field goal attempts. What to watch for? Number two, points off turnovers. Last time these two teams met, North Carolina had a season-high 32 points off of 15 Wake Forest turnovers. Can the Tar Heels do that again? Can they force Tyree Appleby and Cam Hildreth into some turnovers and things of that nature? We'll keep our eyes on that. Number three on our W2W4, what to watch for. The Tar Heels, frankly, just have to shoot better. 
I, there, there's no other way to, to nice that up or church it up. You just got to plain and simply say it. They have, they shot under 35% in each of last week's losses, Pitt and Duke in those two games, they combined to shoot 12 of 54 from deep. Yes. You heard that number, right? 12 of 54. Part of it is also uh, the last meeting between these two was an odd scoring game. It was a career high in scoring for Leakey, 18, a career high in scoring for Seth Trimble. I've already said RJ led the team with 27. Mondo had 21, but Caleb had a tie for his season low, seven points. And so you look at this and think, man, the Tar Heels have to shoot a better percentage from the field. Part of that goes back to what we just said, get the ball to Mondo and let him operate but you want good shots in the flow of the offense. You're wondering, hey, can Leakey do again what he did last time these two teams met? Can he carry on what he did Saturday at Duke coming off his first career double-double? That would be a massive help for the Tar Heels. But this team has to shoot better. And then number four in the what to watch for is, as we said, Carolina's defense has been growing. I already gave you some of those numbers, but let me let me just put it in some very raw numbers. Eight straight games now, the Tar Heels have held their opponents under 70 points. The Tar Heels last time did a really nice job on both Cam Hildreth and Tyree Appleby. Tyree Appleby, number one scorer on this team, averaging 18 points a game. Carolina held him below that, not much, but below it at 16 points. But it took him 15 shots to get there. He was 5 of 15 from the field. That's encouraging. Cam Hildreth, the third leading scorer at 12.9 points per game, only had two and those were both on free throw shots. He was 0 for 3 from the field. So not only was he 0 for the field, he only had three field goal attempts. What up, Leaky Black? Right? Like, this is the stuff that the Tar Heels have to keep doing. Keep that defense going and allow the offense to hopefully catch up, which it should do against Wake's less than stellar defense. All right, that's got you ready for tonight's game. A big one. Carolina, again, point and no return. Backs against the wall. Got to do it right now, one game at a time. That's it, friends, for today's episode of Locked on Tar Heels. Coming up tomorrow, Coach Pat Kilby and I will unpack this game, win or lose. We'll be here to rejoice or commiserate together one way or the other. You can follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Heels or me at Isaac Shade. Email the show, LockedOnTarHeels at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe. We are so close to 5,000. Would love to get there by March Madness. You can help us do that. Smash the like button, leave a comment. And for your next listen, once again, let me encourage you to check out Locked On College Basketball. Thanks so much for hanging out with me on a Tuesday, unpacking a little bit more of the Duke game. Hopefully the leftovers tasted good to you and then getting ready for Wake Forest coming up tonight. want to remind you that it's always a great day to be a Tar Heel. Until tomorrow, peace.